A captain in the signal corps had come back from Germany. He'd spent some time over there after the war, a year or two. And he brought back, I don't know whether he brought back a prototype of a tape machine or whether he just brought back the knowledge of how to put one together. But anyhow, he built one and showed it to us, and it was practical, and it seemed to me we could get the same result as a live show, taping in front of an audience, and still have an opportunity to edit or delete or interpolate anything that we uh, wanted to do after the show was finished, although lots of times there was no necessity to uh, touch the show at all. And again, you could tape it any day you wanted. You could tape it two or three days in a row if you wanted, if it appeared that you were going to want three or four weeks off for a trip. It seemed to me an ideal thing, but the networks didn't want it, didn't like it. They felt it would break up the networks or something, and the trade papers uh, opposed it, the taping. Uh, I think I finally uh, got a little petulant about it, I, or adamant. I said, well, it's going to be that way, or, uh, or get a new boy or something.
Do me a favor, will you? What's that? Play the piano. Oh. Please, please. I want Father to hear you. I've been telling him all about you. Don't let me down. L listen to this, Father. He's really good. What was that song we used to love so much? You mean, uh, uh, By the Sea? No, Chip. <laughs> no, it, it, it had a bit of the rosary in it. But, but that, that wasn't the melody. Joe, don't you remember? We said that, that no matter what happened, that song would always see us through. And then we pressed the rosebud in the book. What happened? Where's the book? Oh. <clears throat> What's the matter, Father? Do you know it? Why, oh, sure. That's an old song called, uh, In the Land of Beginning Again. What? <laughs> Why'd you say so? You never asked me. Oh, well, come on over here and get in there. You'll be sorry. There's a land of beginning again. During the war, Bill Gargan led a USO group that featured Keenan Wynn, Paulette Goddard, an accordionist, and the Arkari. They toured China, Burma, India. He spent four months overseas in some of the poorest and worst conditions of the war, putting on shows and flying in various prop planes, despite a lingering ear infection, and drinking whatever alcohol he could find to keep sane. When Bill finally got home, his ear was so swollen that his wife jokingly called him Dumbo. Under contract with MGM, he borrowed an apartment in New York and went on stage. His first night, he got word that friend Leslie Howard had been killed in a plane crash. The war marked a dividing line in Bill's life. He went back to Hollywood and made Swing Fever, She Gets Her Man, and finally in 1945, he starred with Bing Crosby, Ingrid Bergman, and Martha Sleeper as Joe Gallagher in The Bells of St. Mary's. Television sets began to show up in homes as Bill and his agent, Ken Dolan, conceived a half-hour mystery radio show called Murder Will Out for ABC. It failed to find a long-term sponsor and was canceled. Gargan next starred in Ideal and Crime, beginning on January 21, 1946, on ABC. He played private investigator Ross Dolan for the next 20 months. I deal in crime. The American Broadcasting Company presents I Deal in Crime, starring William Gargan as Ross Dolan. This is Ross Dolan speaking from one of the ringside tables at the Rose Room Dance Palace. Yeah, you guessed it. Fifty beautiful hostesses. Count them. Fifty. If you're wondering what I'm doing in a spot where they tap you a dime for a two-time whirl around a small floor... It's because somebody gave me a lifetime pass. Also, because a man named William Davis came to see me. 
William A. Davis, if you please. He was one of those stuffy little bus budgets about 50 years old and tried to cling to a dull youth by brushing his thin hair over a rapidly spreading bald spot. He walked into my office one bright afternoon and said, Hey, Mr. Dolan, you're a detective. I want you to find my daughter for me. Sure, sure, Mr. Uh, 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 sit down. I haven't time. My name is Davis, William Davis, William A. Davis. Well, I'm glad to meet you. My name is Dolan, Ross Dolan. The only second name my father gave me I got when I broke the mirror in the front parlor. I have no time for levity, Mr. Dolan. Oh. Naturally, since my daughter has disappeared, I've been quite concerned. Even a trifle distraught, if I may say so. Oh, uh, say anything you want. I live up in Mission Valley. Oh. Lived there for 20 years. And one day last week, my daughter simply disappeared. Uh, how old is your daughter, Mr. Davis? She's 17. A dangerous age. Yes. Also, you'll find her self-willed. You may have trouble bringing her back. Uh-huh. Any boyfriends, Mr. Davis? I know of none. I've prepared a sort of brochure on Jacqueline. Your picture's a complete history, so you'd have something to work on. Here. Here. Oh, thanks. Hmm. She's a pretty kid, isn't she? Yes. Uh, let us discuss your fee, Mr. Dolan. My ceiling is $5 per day. Five bucks a day? Mr. Davis, you better either raise your ceiling or lower your floor. You're talking to the wrong man. Well, I'm a sporting man, Mr. Dolan. i make you a proposition. If you find Jacqueline, $500. If you don't, nothing. Now, of course, I'll pay your expenses. Mm-hmm. I think I'll take you up on that, Mr. Davis. Yes, I, I thought so. You have a reputation for being quite a gambler. Thanks. I, uh... I presume her mother is quite concerned, too. I don't know, Mr. Dolan. Also, I don't care. William A. Davis hiked out of there like an upstate Napoleon on his way to Josephine. I settled down to the more serious job of finding a 17-year-old girl in a big city. And it turned out to be tough. The Missing Persons Bureau gave me no leads. Neither did the hospitals. I called and asked more questions than a quiz master at a lawn party. And finally wound up with a pretty, nice, round goose egg. I decided to beat it down the street. But the minute I left the building, I got that uncomfortable feeling around the collar. I walked a block and looked around. I had a tail... I kept going towards the next corner. I rounded the corner and stopped. My pal was close behind me. He was a big, beefy bird, but I stopped him. <coughs> oh, pardon me. Hey, why don't you look where you... Uh-oh. What's the matter, Pally? Afraid you'll miss the bus? I'm not on my way to missing any buses. Maybe not, but you sure missed the boat. Get out of my way, mister. I'm in a hurry. Sure, sure, you're in a hurry. So am I. <coughs> hey... What are you doing? What are you pulling it on my arm? Maybe I ought to snap it for you. My arm. Cut it out, will you? Sure, Pally. As soon as you tell me why you were following me. I wasn't following you, mister. Change your mind, Pally? My arm. My arm. And I told me to tell you. There was a guy on that corner back there. He gave me five bucks. You're lying, Pally. Oh, Oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm telling with a lawyer. His name was Clemson. He's in a Ryan building. Uh-huh. What do you want? I don't know. Just wanted me to follow you. 
tell him where you went, that's all. Can I uh, go now? Yeah, you're going, Pally, with me. If this is another of your feeble fabrications, uh, I'll really give you something to scream about. During that time, Gargan also guest starred on Family Theater, hosting the second episode on February 20th, 1947. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents The Family Theater, starring Walter Brennan and Beulah Bondi, with William Gargan as your host. Family Theater was created by Patrick Payton of the Holy Cross Fathers. Mutual Broadcasting donated the time under four conditions. The show had to be a drama of top quality, strictly non-sectarian, feature a film star, and Father Payton had to pay the production costs. Payton met Loretta Young, who advised him on how to approach A-listers. More things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. She became the first lady of family theater. Good evening. This is Bill Gargan. And before I say another word, I want to thank all of you on behalf of the family theater for your telegrams, letters, and phone calls, which we received after last week's program. As a matter of fact, so many of you called that the network switchboards here in Hollywood and all over the country were literally jammed. And many of you asked the same question. Who sponsors this program, the family theater? The answer is simple. Nobody. And everybody. The actual show is put together by a lot of us in pictures and radio who agree that the most important thing in the world is our family, my family and yours. We think that a happy family means a happy community. A happy community means a happy country. And happy countries, well, when you love your neighbor, you don't fight with him, do you? And so we offer this program, its plays and players, with a conviction that prayer, that's what I said, prayer, family prayer, will give us the faith and understanding which we all need to keep our families together. If you're listening to Family Theater tonight for the first time and you're wondering how faith can help you, why not sit back and listen to Charles Taswell's story, No Night Too Dark, with Meredith Wilson's orchestra and starring Walter Brennan and Beulah Bondi with Jennifer Holt and Jean Reynolds. State Highway number 10, broad and efficient, hurries through the heart of the Broad River Valley and is much too busy to bother with the village itself. There is a marker, however, which points down a wandering blacktop road, a marker which reads, Coldwater, two miles. Just under this marker is a hand-lettered sign which says, Jonathan Carter, two and one-tenth miles. Dry goods, notions, bargains of all kinds, and notary public. Travelers who follow this secondary road will find Jonathan in his favorite rocker on the porch of his store, his wise old eyes bestowing a kindly benediction on Broad River Valley and all its inhabitants, his cat Clementine perched on his shoulder, 
both of them purring in the warmth of the early spring sunshine. Yes, sir. There's not a doubt about it, Clementine. There's nothing the Lord likes better than a handicap. Now you take that tree yonder they sawed off last fall. It's putting out green shoots like a porcupine. And that crack in the new cement sidewalk. There's a dandelion pushing up through it to see what sort of spring weather we're being blessed with in cold water. Yes, sir, Clementine. The Lord sure does love and relish a downright discouraging handicap to show off his power and glory. Jonathan? Now, don't jaw at me, Sarah. I'm hurrying fast I can at the post office. That's where you told me you were going 20 minutes ago. Is that rocker as far as you've got? Yep. Got overtook by a thought and sat down to puzzle it out. Oh, stuff and pure nonsense. Fact, I got to wondering why you're twice as pretty now as when I paid off for our wedding 40 years ago. If you think you can get around me with a lot of soft soap... Sarah, now, Sarah. You know I never spoke a truer word in my life. You always were the prettiest... There are moments, Jonathan Carter, when you're purely exasperating. If you'd keep still till I can tell you what I came out here to say... Well, whatever it is I forgot, I'll mail, open, fix, empty, or tend to directly I get back from the post office, Sarah. That's a solemn promise. But you don't have to go to the post office. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Oh? Mrs. Skinner picked up the mail and left it at our back door. Oh, neighborly woman, Mrs. Skinner. Must bathe in the milk of human kindness. Well, there wasn't much. Two bills, yeah. three advertisements, yeah. and a telegram. Yeah. Who's dead? Nobody's dead. It's from that Mr. Calder. Oh. Well, let's see. Uh, that'd be Will Calder, take it. Lieutenant Calder. He was with the Marines. Yeah. Uh, uh, that Boston fellow that built the cabin out on the river to write books in. That's the one. Mm-hmm. Nice boy. Always liked Will. First author I ever met that didn't wear his hair like a sheepdog. what do he wire about? He's coming home Saturday. Get together a brass band to welcome him on that short notice. Now, don't you go making any fancy plans, Jonathan. All he wants is the cabin cleaned. And the telegram was to me. Hmm. I never know till now that you and him was that well acquainted. Why, that summer he was here, he was in to buy something nearly every day, don't you remember? Yeah. But I also recollect that was the summer I had Peggy Griffin working on my books. I planted her right by that counter of slow-moving items every time Calder came in. <laughs> Got rid of six egg beaters, two gallons of sheep dip, and a hog oiler I never expected to sell. Mm, well, they made a real handsome couple. Mm -hmm. I spent a deal of time studying the matter over before I matched them up. Why, Jonathan Carter, you had nothing to do with it. Well, who got Peggy to read his book and tell him how wonderful it was? Who got him to take her swimming in that red bathing suit I ordered, C-O-D-598, dealer's discount, F-O-B? Uh, Peggy and that Calder fellow would have gotten together without your help. And you know something? I think they had a definite understanding before he left. Oh, I'm certain sure they did. She had the same happy cat-eat-the-cream grateful look that you had when I asked you to marry me. Why, Jonathan, I never did. Well, I'm unbelieving of your good fortune. Of you? all the tall stories, but I haven't the time nor the inclination to argue nonsense. I'm running over to ask Mrs. Scuddy if she wants the job of cleaning. Yeah. If a customer shows up while I'm gone, see if you can stir yourself to wait on him. Yeah. And if Peggy Griffin comes in, restrain yourself just this once, Jonathan, and don't go asking questions. Won't open my mouth. Well, see that you don't. Just mind your own business and stay out of trouble till I get back. I won't talk to nobody but Clementine. No. Won't ask a question of any living soul. I give you my promise, Sarah. Between 1947 and 56, 
there were 482 dramas broadcast, and few used religion of any kind in the plot. This is Bill Gargan again, expressing our thanks to Walter Brennan, Beulah Bundy, Jennifer Holt, and Gene Reynolds for such delightful performances. Thanks also to Charles Taswell for his script of No Night Too Dark. You know, some of you folks listening in, you're lucky. I mean, those of you who listened with your families. I wonder if you ever really stop to think about what it means to have a family. If you love your family, and your family loves you, well... What more could a guy want? But I don't have to tell you, even though you do have a happy family life, there are times when you get a little worried, like maybe when one of the kids gets sick, very sick, and your whole family gets scared, so scared you, you don't know what to do, and you, you don't know where to turn. Well, look, have you a thought uh, about maybe saying a prayer and turning to God? No one can give you greater comfort. Yes, and no one can give you more help. Ask God to keep your family together. Ask him to keep it well and happy. You know, none of us is so self-sufficient that we can ignore God's help. None of us is so proud that we need hesitate to ask it. Just remember, you'll never know how much a prayer can do until you've said one. Ask, and ye shall receive. Doesn't that sound familiar? Before saying goodnight, I want to express our thanks to all of you who have helped make this program possible. Thanks also to Richard Sandville for directing our play tonight. Next week, our stars in the family theater will be Bing Crosby, Irene Dunn, and Dana Andrews in another story by Charles Taswell, entitled, Jay Smith and Wife. Now, this is Bill Gargan saying, good night, all. Next week, and in the weeks that follow, you will hear more of your favorite stars, such as Bing Crosby, Joseph Cotton, Maureen O'Hara, Gregory Peck, Lionel Barrymore, Susan Peters, Charles Bickford, Ruth Huzzy, and Pat O'Brien, in plays written especially for Family Theater by the nation's leading radio dramatists and directed by the most outstanding directors. This series of the Family Theater broadcasts is produced by Bob Longnecker and comes to you through the cooperation of the Mutual Network and the actors, writers, and directors of the radio and motion picture industries. This program is broadcast overseas to our armed forces through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Bill continued to make guest appearances on radio, like on the October 13, 1948 episode of Bing Crosby's Philco Radio Time on ABC. We never gave them any trouble because uh, Carol Carroll didn't write that kind of stuff or anything that was going to be sensible, and you didn't want to get in a long argument with them. Now, a fellow like Hope, he had problems because, <laughs> you know, a joke's a joke, and if you get a good one and it's uh, on the borderline, you hate to give up on it. Well, we never had any problem in that direction, but the censorship was very rigid. Well, this is Bing Crosby welcoming you to Silco Radio Time. 
Produced and transcribed in Vancouver, British Columbia. With John Scott Trotter and his orchestra, and our talented and charming guests, Ray Milland, Marilyn Maxwell, and Joe Venuti. Now I'd like to present our master of ceremonies for this evening, a man of many parts in the flickers, and also known to you on the radio as Ross Dolan, detective. Mr. William Gargan. Take a bow, Bill. Thank you, Bing. How about this place, Bill, huh? Oh, wow. Some crowd. Big place. We better be good. We're quite a target up here. <laughs> well, if they start to get restless, we can go right into a hockey game. I'll gladly uh, play forward anything you want. Say, Bing, I don't like to start right off by complaining, but... Complaining, uh, Bill. After all, if I'm a master of ceremonies here, I should have introduced you to the folks. Oh, Bill, they know me. I've been up here before. Before who? Before the Indians. <laughs> Anyway, incidentally, Bill, I got a big thrill a minute ago. I really did. Mm-hmm. When uh, Chief Joe Mathias made me an honorary member of the Squamish tribe. Well, that's right. You are now Chief Thunder Voice. Yep. Thunder Voice. Anyway, uh, let me be the first to compliment you on that uh, fancy headdress you're wearing. It is rather clever, isn't it? <laughs> Don't you think feathers do something for me? Oh, you're a smash in that outfit. But I can't figure out whether you remind me of uh, Sitting Bull uh, or uh, Woody Woodpecker or uh, Hedda Hopper. Hedda Hopper. <laughs> how did we miss By, uh, you? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Bing, uh, how did they happen to make you an honorary Indian? Well, Bill, I guess it all goes back to the time when I was run over by a Pontiac. <laughs> Somehow or other, that must have thrown them a thought. Uh, say, Bing, you have Indians for neighbors down near your Nevada ranch, don't you? Oh, yes, indeed we have. Very stylish Indians, too. You know they have a teepee with the hot and cold running water? You mean to say they have modern plumbing in a teepee? No, no, that's their kids' names. Hot and cold running water. <laughs> running waters are a very big family down there. Bing, uh, hmm. don't you think it's about time for a song? Our uh, dialogue is leaky. Yes. A little bit it is. I think you're right. Lucky I just happen to have a tune handy. It's a bouncy, popular cowboy thing called Hair of Gold. John Scott, let's saddle old paint and get to going there, huh? I came down from West Vancouver for a little change of scene. And I stopped the day in Santa Fe where I met a pretty queen. It would be in 1949 that William Gargan took on his most famous role. And in the process, became one of the first television drama detectives in broadcasting. <laughs> 